0: I can't believe how you humans build heartbreak right into how you construct this world of yours. This is a quote from Letters with Smokey, which is a book we'll be discussing on today's episode of AMI Audiobook Review. Written by Rod Makako and Dan Goodley, authors of the book. We're going to talk to them in a second. I'm Ramiya Amudan, host of AMI Audiobook Review, here with Jacob Shamansky, who's going to help us with this interview. Hey, Jacob.
1: Hey, Ramia, Let's do it.
0: Let's do it. Here's a synopsis of Letters with Smokey to give us some context. Blindness and more than human relations. In September 2020, Rod Makako wrote to friend and colleague, Dan Goodley, congratulating him on the release of his latest book, Disability and Other Human Questions, joking that his late guide dog, Smokey, had taken offense to the suggestion that disability was purely a human question. Makako shared a few thoughts on behalf of his dog. When Goodley wrote back to Smokey, so began an epistolic exchange that would continue for the rest of seven months. As the COVID-19 pandemic swept across the world and the reality of lockdown imposed isolation set in, the Smokey Letters provided the friends space to come together in a lively exploration of human-animal relationships and to interrogate disability as disruption, disturbance, and art. Just as he did in real life Smokey guides. In these pages, he offers wisdom about the world, love, and friendship, and especially the Beatles. His canine exploration of human experience provide an avenue into some of the ways that blindness can be explored and befriended. A bit about the authors for some more context and background. Rod McCuckle is a retired professor from the University of Toronto where he taught disability studies. Dan Goodley is a professor of disability studies and education at the University of Sheffield. Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Nice to be here.
0: Well, let's, um, because I gave you a synopsis, this is straight from what everybody else can get, the printed material, but in your own words, can you walk us through the story behind the creation of this book? And I'm not sure which one of you want to take it on, but Rod, maybe you, because you were uh, part of the, the Smoky Letters.
2: That's right. Thank you. Um, it was, it was uh, as you say, in 2020 when Dan published book on disability and other human questions uh i I congratulated him on it dan and i have been friends for for so many years and so we've celebrated each other's uh, publications and (laughs) other kinds of things we've celebrated Mm -hmm. but um i I then thought about the title and uh smoky my my guide dog passed on several years ago and i still kind of think of him and almost talk with him Almost a daily basis, and so I just thought, I wonder what Smokey would think about this disability and, and human question. Other human questions, and so just just for the fun of it, I just thought I would write down this email and congratulate him on his book and tell him that Smokey had a few things to say. And, and I said, It's but remember, Dan, I'm just this is me, it's Smokey.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so I just said, Hi, Dan, and Smokey began to talk about it. um what he found particularly offensive about the title, Disability and Other Human Questions, saying something like he had been, he dragged the blind guy around for most of his whole life. <laughs> so he knew a <laughs> thing, thing or two about disability. So it started that way. And I think um, uh, that one of the things that fascinated me from the beginning is that there was no intention whatsoever that this would become a book or any other kind of publication for that matter. We just were, um, first of all, having fun between the two of us between dan and, dan and myself and secondly it gave it gave me a chance and i'm not sure if Dan will have to say what he thinks it gave me a chance to kind of mm-hmm. settle down with with the pandemic and find a way to deal mm-hmm. with some of the isolation and talk about some of the stuff that i've been doing disability study the last few decades and retired from doing that uh, kind of thinking about what what did that all mean in my lifetime or what did it all mean what was i giving to disability and disabled people over the decades I taught disability studies. And it gave me a chance to say it through through um, invoking Smokey as, 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 as a voice that was alongside of me through many of these
0: years. Of mm. So it's not just so your was, alter ego.
2: It wasn't just my <laughs> alter ego, <laughs> although it's a good way to put that. Okay.
1: And Dan, at what point during these exchanges did you feel like you were... You were talking to smokey the individual instead of just an alter ego of rod himself
3: <laughs> it's uh yes thank you for this opportunity and it's really interesting you've asked that question because that's i suppose one of the kind of key things for me about this process is that in writing i only ever thought of Smokey, um occasionally rod and i i mean that i really mean that that's uh, i think rod was surprised I wrote back to Smokey and not him. And as the kind of the series of letters, the correspondence developed, I was really, really interested in kind of getting to to Smokey's story and as much as anything, you know, trying to get Smokey to, you know, fill me in on some of the stuff that Rob perhaps told me. Uh, So it felt this kind of, I did feel very much kind of, it was an engagement with Smokey. Um, And indeed, when we were asked by the publishers to give a, a bit of an introduction to this quite you know bizarre setup uh, we were asked to kind of write about the writing process and i think both rod and i felt i don't know this is quite a tricky one for us because in in talking of the writing process it, it kind of you know was trying to put into a frozen text some of the magic that was felt in writing to smokey and i would suggest that as smoke as smokey was speaking through this text this freed up uh, both of us actually to give some answers, but most importantly, to ask some pretty big questions to one another. So yeah, it was. Um, this was one of the most interesting pieces of writing I've ever engaged in because I was seeking answers mm-hmm. through Smoky, who has who had a long life of engagement with the world, and he also straightway made me realise that my original book title was somewhat lacking.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it was funny when you started talking about the illustrations as well. Smokey had a lot to say about that, the book cover. (laughs) Um, But it was, I appreciated that you mentioned uh, near the beginning, I think during your initial letter, that, Dan, uh, that you would wait, you know, you would ponder, you would read and digest the uh, the, the letters that Smokey would write before, engaging before coming back to it and responding and why was that was it because smoky was giving you new things to think about or was it just the light of the way that he was um giving you these things to ponder over these concepts that you were probably already familiar with
3: yeah i mean it was it was lockdown right so where uh, there was plenty of time to ponder um and uh, a lot uh-huh. of pondering went on uh, in terms of um you know the regular kind of daily walks that i went on um I I think I wanted to, I I felt that every time I got a letter back, it felt incredibly precious to me. Um, And this is where, you know, I I knew I was also obviously writing to Rod. I don't take for granted any story that Rod shares with me about smoking because they are so precious to Rod. Um, And they are imbued with so many different elements to them. Uh, And one of those, of course, is that both Rod and I do a lot of time writing in kind of academic circles and perhaps in academic ways and i think what what i was getting back from Smokey, were some um very punchy very straight to the point and also some pretty brave courageous stuff mm. that was coming my way in the way of responding to my questions but also thrown back to me kind of questions so um yeah i didn't want to kind of take these for granted i wanted to to sit with them these precious stories and um hopefully gives something good back. And a lot of the time in the text, you'll notice Smokey has no patience with any kind of.
1: Well, seeing uh, as <laughs> seeing as both of you are, have and are currently professors, mm-hmm. um, was this an exercise in academia for you? Like what you usually do, or was this somewhat of a departure?
2: Um, I, 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 thanks, Dan. I think, I think both, Jacob. I mean, it was certainly a departure from what I typically did in academic writing and even um, in, in some responding it, it reviews of academic writing. At the same time, it was not as much or a drastic or radical departure from my teaching in disability studies. So I, I began to realize after many, many years of teaching, which is the problem with, uh, at least the problem I have with teaching, that I, I'm, I'm a little, little um, reluctant sometimes, a little bit slow to learn from my own teaching and from what I, what's being taught in the classroom beyond the teacher and the students, mm-hmm. that, that that kind of a dichotomy. So I, I, I don't, I don't learn um, as, as as much as I, I I would like to, and even in the contemporary um, thing in disability studies where the, the abstraction of lived experience seems to some notion of expertise, so I should be an expert not only in disability but in blindness because I'm blind. That, that's kind of a difficult one for me.
1: So it I sounds like this was somewhat of a learning experience for you as well.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, incredibly so. I mean, it was, you know, when Dan says that the, the stuff was precious that he was receiving from Smokey, it was equally as precious for me to learn the kind of freedom I would have in speaking uh, with Smokey. Not really through his voice, but um, imagining what he might say to disability studies and, and to Dan in particular. It, it's um, in the same kind of way where you asked initially uh, if, if uh, Smokey was a mere alter ego or something like that. Sometimes my blindness is like that,
0: a kind
1: mm-hmm. of an alter ego.
2: And, um, mm-hmm. you know, Smokey's taught me and continues to do so in so many ways because of the memories that i Feelings and stuff I have with in being with him, those 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 many years of um, just how crucial, just how crucial this life of disability is to the world, not only to those who are disabled but to those who, are, who don't think of themselves as disabled, and uh, just 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 to the uh, idea of what it, what it could not necessarily only mean, but what it could be to be human. Mm-hmm. So I think disability studies quite often loses that and does its own particular agenda. So that gave me a real chance to kind of smarten up myself as well. So I was just as equally surprised and about uh, I, I the letters that I that I wrote on smoke's behalf I think were just as precious to me as the answers
0: yeah. Well, I think that sometimes we lose the stories in the research, right, when we're analyzing
1: and... Good way to put it. Right, right. Like, mm-hmm.
0: But with these letters, we get the stories. We get not only um, Smokey's perspective on how it was for him as a guide dog, you know, learning the commands, going through oh, the, the, the puppy phase and being adopted and being trained. All of that was um, so vulnerable on his end, but also he talked about you rod and uh, right. what it, the relationship was like from his perspective he's like oh this guy doesn't know how to get along around without me <laughs> <laughs> like how could he do that i yeah <laughs> i lent him so much and um <laughs> that part of it was you know really fun and i wanted to ask you like what was that uh, journey like just deciding to get a guide dog
2: that was a, that was a rough one um because as as the site began to, I don't know the right word, diminish or something, whatever the word is, uh, I I couldn't get along as 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 well, uh, just getting from point A to point B, and there was a lot of uh, close calls, um, with, uh, with some dangerous things with cars, especially you know, they tend to be a little dangerous, <laughs> especially when you don't see them and you mm. think that you do that kind of business, right? So mm. I I then used the white cane for a bit, and I just I just couldn't. Couldn't get any grace out of it, any, any um, movement that I that I even could even describe to myself as movement. So my partner Tanya Dzyczkowski, who's also a disability studies scholar, kept um, uh, saying to me that I should try a guide dog, and I, I said, "No, I don't. I don't think that would be a good idea." But she she pr- persisted. Those those people who know Tanya know what that means. <laughs> she, she's not going <laughs> to stop asking you and telling you what to do. So finally, um, I I did that. And I went to the school to suit uh, to kind of check it out, and they they let me put a harness a, a dog guide in, in, in a harness in my hand and asked me to just take a couple of steps, which I did, and it just 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 the the, the, the I don't know what it was the feeling of. Freedom, or power, or something—it just surged right through me, and I thought, "Yeah, I have to get." So the process with Smokey was incredible. Meeting mm. him at the school, uh, training with him—that he was already fully trained. I, I didn't have a clue.
0: And on waiting, him. one <laughs> of the and, and last of his bunch.
2: Yeah, he was very fast. He was big, strong, very fast, mm. and um, uh, he just—he just, he just kind of loved working really quickly. And they worked. Uh, school they worked us in what they call a string of dogs. So he our trainer trained six dogs including Smokey. And we go out in the streets of Oakville and into Toronto and Smoke would just he had to be in front of the line. He just had to be. It was just one of those incredible things, you know, where, so he was very fast and he was really happy that I wanted to go quickly as well. And it was just it was almost as though blindness was a maybe a I was going to say an excuse, but maybe an occasion for both Smokey and me to sort of free up this, free up this incredible notion of movement that, that human beings experience in the no matter which way we move. And I began to realize that movement, that freedom was perhaps the greatest freedom of all and in, in whatever way that we move through through our lives. And that's, I think that's... Smokey taught me more than anything which is just to kind of love the movement and one funny thing is, is that uh, where I began to realize that he knew I didn't have a clue
1: uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah he said most, so. most,
2: yeah, well, yeah yeah most most guy dogs they're, they're trained to uh, when you come to a street corner or something and you want to go left or right so you make the decision as a blind person and it may take you a few seconds mm. before you say right or left smoke wasn't into the few seconds he gave me maybe a second and a half. And <laughs> if I didn't patient. decide, he he did. He was very patient. <laughs> I remember getting off the subway the first time. I thought, how the heck, how do I get out of here? Is it left to right? And the door opened. And I was like, he just he just took off. <laughs> and that was that. He went to the right and he uh, zip zip. There was some stairs, one S later, we were out. You know, so I he just wasn't gonna put up with me with uh, that, that kind of nonsense. Well what I
1: found shit. interesting about the smoky emails was that it was Smokey pondering his life with you rod but that was written by yourself so it's like a reflection of yourself from right. your point yeah. of view it's kind of the blurred lines between right? your perspective and Smokey's perspective
2: it's it's true and and you know those lines are blurry jacob and uh, uh no matter what perspectives we use like Blurry between the perspectives of disability studies and, and and the experience of disability, whether ours or that of others, and the uh, just just the blurriness of the perspective of blindness, and and the blurring that with sight, and, and that kind of thing. But that's that's it's a really good point that uh, Smokey just taught me that that um, when I was moving in the streets, moving in life with Smokey, what was moving was Smokey together it wasn't um mm-hmm. it wasn't Smoky was not a technical assistive device for me getting around at all it was a movement together in blindness and, uh, that's what he taught me is that it never ever move alone in this world
1: something else um that's blurry about this book is it kind of blurs the line between fiction and non-fiction mm-hmm. because <laughs> it is it, based on both of you's real experiences, real email exchange, Smokey was a real guide dog, but the only thing that's really fictional about this story is the anthropomorphization of of Smokey. Because obviously he doesn't he can't verbalize his thoughts. And let alone write them. <laughs> yes, yeah, and let alone write them. So given that hazy labeling how would you ideally want your readers to to approach this read?
2: Dan, what, you, what do you think of it?
3: Yeah, I, mean, I, yeah the, the, I think haziness is another interesting word here because um, I kind of take a little bit of offense at the very idea that this is somehow fictional, when I know it's completely f- fiction is all we have, right? There's something about the kind of authenticity, the honesty, the openness Preciousness of the stories that that Smoky shares with us, and that when we you know we come to kind of um, as we all do categorize different kinds of writing, it somehow feels that you know to make these kind of distinctions, we're you know we're in danger of, of simplifying um, this kind of form of writing through that kind of categorization. And by the way, Jacob, I'm not having a, a go at you there. I just think there's something about how we think of writing. I mean, I was, I was also struck by the opportunity within the writing to Smokey to really, to use a nice British phrase here, to really take the piss out of Rod, to give him a rise, to challenge him, to pick him up, to really go with the fact that you know right. he was tot- he was totally you know inept at this, at this you know being the guy who you know is now has some kind of responsibility over. Smoky, what a joke that is! But, and I and I and I want I wonder about how the I suppose the playfulness of the way we wrote together permitted us to to rib, to challenge, to joke, to jest with one another. But actually, it got us to some very interesting ways of thinking. It did about the world, about blindness. Um, blindness is only one thing uh, that's you know um, spoken about within the text. There are many things, and. I, just to finish, I thought, Rod, when you're there talking about the grace uh, and the movement that you and Smokey engaged in in the world, I was just thinking that about how those words, those beautiful words, contrast with the word you used earlier, which is diminished, right? Or, you right. know, mobility, mobility, which is always, you know, a word that kind of comes alongside disability. So I'm wondering here about this kind of playfulness of the, of the writing, the style of writing. Actually, kind of, my capture maybe even fits with the possibilities that Smokey and Rod both bring to the
2: world i think I think I think uh, Dan's right in so many ways um, one of the things about the the the, the distinctions or sometimes differences we say with fiction writing and nonfiction writing I mean there's clearly as jacob, as you say jacob is a is a fictional character of this of this book, namely uh, Smokey writing, you know, that is in a sense, in a sense, a fiction. Um I think I think what we try to do, or how I would like readers to read this book, is um with an understanding that no matter how we live our lives, and that's I think why we quoted Chris Christopherson, is that you know all our lives is like partly truth and partly fiction. That's why we're
1: mm. moving
2: contradictions, you know. And there's a beautiful writer, a beautiful indigenous writer in Canada named Thomas King. And in his Massey Lectures, the first first chapter of his Massey Lectures, published into a book, uh, Truth About Stories, uh, he says that the the, the truth about stories is that that's all we are, is that we story Mm -hmm. our lives in whichever way we decide to do that. Now, the the offensive thing, what offends me in in a way that I'm speaking about offense, is when academics, namely me, Dan, (laughs) think that we're not telling stories Mm. when we write academically. I mean, that's nothing but a story.
0: Exactly. The
2: the, the, the question isn't, is it accurate? Is it correct? But is it a good one? Can I live with and by this story of disability? And frankly, um, I hope this interview doesn't get to other disability studies scholars, but frankly... Often disability studies is not that great of a story to live disability in and with. Right. Quite often. You know, so I think I think what, what Smokey and I were trying to to do, not only in this book, but also in our lives, was to show that the story of blindness as, as it's told in in my culture, a culture which I share with so many, a culture which I don't share with others. Um, and the cultures that come into my culture, how blindness is 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 spoken of and told, the story of blindness is told in those cultures, it does not have to be the one mm. that me, a blind person, has to necessarily to live. Mm. I might have to live with it, as you know, we all have to live with some junk, but I don't have to live in it. And it was really Smokey who taught me that. You know, he said, we could do our own blind thing, man. Mm-hmm. and uh, we laughed together, we cried together same as I've done with Dan over the years of doing this <laughs> <stuff.
0: laughs> Right. so
2: uh, I think that was the biggest thing that, that Smokey taught me I don't have to live in the kind of blindness that my culture has given me, I have to live with it because I'm in the culture but we don't have to live in it Rod is what he was telling me which was a tough lesson to learn and you know
0: you're speaking um to a lot of vulnerabilities i picked up from Smokey's letters when Smokey was talking about you right and talking about some of the experiences that you had and even just the one that you shared now where you're walking through the subway station going i have no idea where i'm going um yeah. and there are these expectations right of or the ideals of what it's like to be a proper blind person, how to do it right and how to know how to handle your guide dog and all these things. Um so that stark, you know, contrast of smokey going, no, he has no idea what he's doing without me is such a vulnerable place to be in as reflection, as Jacob pointed out. Um but I'm curious, Dan, if you had to challenge yourself for things that you were defensive about, about things that you thought you knew already. Um, other than the Beatles argument, which was, (laughs) everyone was getting defensive on that. (laughs) But with with things that Smokey was bringing to you or that Smokey was bringing to you that may have been different, uh, contrasting, challenging what Rod could have been giving to you, um, did you have to sit with that as an academic, as a person who also uh, studies this realm of work? And, you know, has your own preconceived notions.
3: I mean, well, firstly, I I, I wish I could, I, maybe I will, I, I must follow up with um, Smokey, the idea that, that Ros is not a proper blind person. I think Smokey could say something very, very interesting about that, very funny about that. Um, yeah, I, I think, yeah, I, I think, I think that I did. And what was important and very, I think, enlightening was, there's a lot of stuff written across various kind of academic spaces about vulnerability. But like Rod was saying earlier, sometimes it feels that those stories aren't, um, they're not particularly evocative of vulnerability. And I think what is interesting in this, in this book, and I think uh, what I'd hope the readers get from it is we get to some interesting conversations about our shared vulnerabilities, about mine, about Rod's, own vulnerabilities but we get to that through you know interrogating from a dog now that mm. you know this is I think very interesting because prior to this th- these kind of letters I was very much into some of the kind of writing around what's now called kind of post-human theory and post-human thinking I'm still very interested in that but I thought what was interesting about you know probing smoking. and in, in the book one of the things I do is I'm endlessly probing him I'm endlessly pushing him to tell me more and one of those things is about vulnerability it is interesting though isn't it that we get to some fascinating conversations about vulnerability through a conversation with a dog who's not doesn't happen to be um, currently uh, with us now so yes i did but i think i i i did kind of find myself engaging the, in those kind of self reflective moments and of, and of course it was at a time when vulnerability was you know, particularly magnified and illuminated by COVID nineteen. Right. But it but what he but what, what Smokey does is he gets us to think in a very, very relational way. Across humans and non-humans, across the kind of ways in which, you know, when Rod and Smokey rock up in any space, suddenly that space is fundamentally shifted and changed by them being there. So I think um what Smokey did is like all oh, good academics, he just totally confused me about my own vulnerability. <laughs> he
0: called us out on a lot of stuff, that's for sure. Yeah,
3: and so, so basically he just he's made me even more uncertain. I mean, some might say even more vulnerable. So thanks, Smoke.
1: <laughs>
3: How do you think I
2: feel with that?
1: Yeah. <laughs> so this book, correct me if I'm wrong with my interpretation, but setting it within the context of an epistolic correspondence, the email correspondence, serves as a way to Switch the perspective of the typical narrative of disability, and given that change of perspective, what are the ideas that came from that?
2: Well for me, Jacob the, 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 I have I still do academic writing as Dan knows, uh, not 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 in the way that I did it before, not as much and stuff like I still publish with Tanya and Dan and other people, and still on my own some academic stuff, but I've turned more and more to fiction writing now um, as, as a way to emphasize for me in a more direct way that disability is, is really a conversation that takes place in the world, a real one, not a, not a made up one, you know, uh, but a real conversation uh, be, between and among all these different characters, as some of them we've been mentioning here today, the character of vulnerability, the character of humor, the character of, of, of all sorts of things uh relational to disability the character to like what humans know as opposed to what animals know that distinction as well and the the blurriness of that one too um i think uh i think that in some ways it's it's not necessarily easier because it's much more difficult for me to write fiction than academic stuff i mean you just spew that stuff out you know it's ways. but it's um it's more um opening myself up to the vulnerability of having a conversation, of really, really trying to uh, invoke a conversation that's already in me in relation to disability, to, to how how I communicate and talk with my blindness on a, on a, not on a daily basis, but on every second basis. Um, it's so much part of my life, or is my life in so many ways. So Smokey taught me that with, with fictional stuff. 'Cause I would talk with him as we worked. I mean I talked with him like he totally understood everything I said. And he did understand a lot, you know, but um it wasn't I probably should there are people in Toronto right now who have an opinion or an idea of guide dogs that is totally false and inaccurate, you know. The stuff that I would say about Smokey, what he could do, you know, how he could how he could see that lights were actually green or red, which he didn't <laughs> But some people thought he did and said, wow, he's incredible that way. And I said, yeah, I have no idea how he knows it's green. But, you know, shouldn't have done that. Or make fun of people as we move through a place like Yorkville, for example, which is a... Dan, I think you know that in It's kind of a wealthy shopping place. And me talking to Smokey about the people we encountered. Speaking aloud, which I shouldn't have done either. But Smoke enjoyed it and I enjoyed it. And, and this, this book... With the letters, just opened up that space for having a conversation. That disability and blindness and humanness, what it means to be human, and what it means to be a friend and love and all that kind of stuff. That that is actually a conversation that's ongoing. It's not a series of of stipulations and of so-called knowledge. It's a it's an ongoing, blurry conversation, and I was just so grateful for Dan, um, who just allowed me to get into that conversation in a lot of more direct ways with him over the, mm. over the pandemic.
3: Yeah, I mean, just to quickly add to that, it's important to recognize again, you know, when this when these um, emails were taking place during COVID-19, and I felt that um, Smokey's stories were um, a really kind of affirmative... Um, you know, part of my my life when so many kind of colleagues and comrades' lives were being utterly, you know, reduced and, and actually rendered disposable by the pandemic. So we shouldn't forget that when we were writing these stories, when we were having fun together, when we were sad together, this was t- taking place against a wider kind of, you know, global cultural narrative, which, quite honestly, was was suggesting and indicating through public health measures and so on. The disabled lives were were not worth worth saving, never mind worth, you know, kind of empowering. So, you know, I think one of the messages we want to, that comes in there, that whilst there is a lot of joy in these letters, we do uh, make reference to and remind the reader um, that the pandemic magnified wider processes in the world whereby, you know, the disability experience is is often a, a disposable experience. And... Well, what what I hope is that through these stories we're reminded of some of the the power of disability activism to challenge these kind of ideas that still today are kind of still lurking within you know everyday ways of thinking
0: mm-hmm. mm, yeah no, I, I completely agree like the baseline for advocacy it almost felt urgent through the pandemic for people with lived experience but also allies and um, others to really, really step it up and make a bigger impact, or, or even a more basic basic impact to understand, or to have people understand that you know this is this is absolutely unacceptable. Uh, some of the the struggles that people were facing, but I want to ask you about the decision to publish these letters, the decision to make this into a book, to put this conversation out there, um, this collection of correspondence, right? So you have the original letters, you have the original correspondence. Where was that link and that moment where you went from that to publishing? And then what came up Around that, the editing, the proofing, the changing around—you know—were there a lot of differences between the organic original form of these letters to what we have now?
2: It was just interesting how those how the publication came up because Dan and I had not spoken of it. Now there was a few times in Toronto, and then um, actually talking to Dan and in different places, uh, we could travel a little bit more with the. Where we, um, where where, my, for instance, my partner Tanya would tell people about this, these letters. Cause she would read them. Some others just kind of took a look at them and they said, "Oh, you know, these letters are amazing. They make you laugh. They make you cry." And there were a few people here and there, friends of mine in Toronto, who said, "Why don't you publish that?" And I just thought, "No, I, this this isn't one of those things for publications. I How we intended this to be. I wasn't even interested in going through that process, as you know." Especially through university press, that's a tough process, man. You got to go for for a long time. And I have a friend named um, who I met in Toronto when I per- published my first book at the University of Toronto Press, named Jill Jill McConkey, who's uh, an acquisitions editor at the University of Manitoba Press now. And I was talking to her about this book on a, on a Zoom, uh, uh, having a beer line one day, and uh, she said, "Just send out, just see what it's like." And I said, "Well, it's not an academic book." So I sent it to her anyway, since she wrote back and said, "I want, I love this. I want to publish this here." And I said, "Well, I'm not making many, many changes to make it academic." She said, "Well, there's not going to be that many." People. So they, they, they wanted something that they called, I love this expression. Some, what do they call it then? Some academic apparatus. <laughs> I thought it was one of the most <laughs> fascinating little hunks of story ever. <laughs> anyway. So we, we did put in some footnotes because we were just free with that stuff. You know, we would say, as John Lennon says, or as some disability studies scholar said, we kind of, oh, we, we didn't like cite it like an appropriate kind of way. So they asked if we could just do some, a little proper bibliography in a kind of a way and do some citations so that um, some readers would, if they didn't, if they, if they weren't familiar with this stuff, could go and have a look at it. So we, we did that. But basically there was... I think with the text itself, other than wanting a longer introduction to kind of talk about how we came to do this book, I don't think there were many changes at all. And mm-hmm. we you, you call many changes. And it,
0: how well, about... Yeah, I mean, yeah. Sorry, so go, go ahead. On. No, go on. I was just going to ask in and, and your preamble or like the pretense yeah. to all of that, how did you decide um, <clears throat> how much we needed to know before getting right into it? How much so what?
3: I, I think how much we needed, what, do you mean what kind of in terms of mm-hmm. background? Yeah, in context. exactly. Context. Yeah, so I, I, I think, um, I don't know if you'd agree with this, Rob, but I, I think I think we both resisted that a little bit. Yeah. Um, really. a, and it's it's interesting because we haven't spent a lot of time together talking about the writing process. And so, you know, I accept that there needs to be some kind of background to this for the reader. It's becoming a, obviously as a publication. We've added that. But it did feel... Yeah, there's a resistance because I, I I suppose in it's in writing about the writing given that kind of context, um, I, we worried a little bit that we were kind of undoing the the power of Smokey's stories and Smoky's words there. Um, so, I, Rod, would that be fair? Do you have that you feel feeling of resistance?
2: So. I think so. I think I think we're, we're probably resisting on the. We had a brief little introduction initially, right, explaining that. While we didn't know what we were doing with Smokey's voice, you know, the the, the press wanted, as Dan and you, you people said, more of a context how we how how this is to be read, and one of the reasons we resisted is, as Dan said, we we didn't want to undo. That's a nice word, Dan. Undo. Uh, you know, both the power and vulnerability of Smokey's voice as it came through Dan and through me.
3: Uh, I mean, I I yeah, and I would I, I would also kind of add to that that uh the first draft of the introduction i kind of pinged over to rod um i think if rod had been nearby he probably throws things at me because i did that classic thing of giving like a, a you know kind of a, an academic introduction thus utterly undermining the whole premise of the of the text through <laughs> yeah. so this yeah, you know this right. kind of usual falling back into all <laughs> oh, right okay well we need to give an academic contest. here I mean, one of the other kind of urges to, to publish this book is that, frankly, Rod McHulk has dined out on Smokey's stories for years now. And it's about time that Smokey got his name in the title of the book.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But he said that a few times, you know, said the, the, the first book I wrote, uh, two in one, I mean, that's what he says. He says that I had my say, so it's, it's time for him. But, uh, you know, and, and the thing about uh, writing the introduction, I think what we resisted as well is, you know what? an academic tells a joke and then has to explain why it's funny, you know, which means it's not funny, you know, so it's like that kind of thing. We didn't want to explain vulnerability, the love, the tears, the laughter in this book. So I think we resisted that kind of thing. But then we found a way with the, uh, with the editors at the University of Toronto, or sorry, University of Manitoba Press to be able to do it. And they were, they were actually quite good. They They were, they were, they were, the copy editor, for instance, was, Really good, and so was the, the proofreading and stuff. And I think what what I found really, really um, kind of kind of rewarding and beautiful was that um, I don't know if you thought this down or not, but the copy editor, for instance, um, they, they just enjoyed reading the book. They just they wrote a. Well, that's a good book. sign. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like, minimum, yeah, minimum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, But you know, that's a, that's a, that's, a, that's the University Press, so they probably right. don't get. Many things like this. So they just, first of all, saying how they just got wrapped up in in reading it. So it was, um, that was kind of cool.
1: They're probably used to reading stuff that's a little bit (laughs) drier, but I I was very surprised to hear that you didn't make too, your editors didn't make too many modifications to the emails Mm -hmm. because, I mean, you guys write beautifully in your emails. I never proofread my emails. Nobody ever proofreads their emails. (laughs) They're remarkably well written. And I, I'm wondering, like at any point during this process, you you were just writing for yourselves? That that's that's crazy.
0: <laughs> yeah, like, probably you probably right jacob when you publish this <laughs>
1: yeah are you sure from the start you didn't know you're going to make a book out <laughs> yeah, of this this right. is awfully no. suspicious
0: <laughs>
2: they're a little suspicious dan <laughs> no we always write this way you're so articulate <laughs>
0: that's
1: right.
0: you want to hear oh us God. in a
2: pub jacob <laughs> you know, <laughs> just yeah.
0: inserted uh the profanity afterwards i'm assuming yeah we just put that in that was actually dan's <laughs>
2: That's mother who read it. Who <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah.
2: She she wasn't she wasn't
3: very happy with the swearing, to be fair. <laughs> no, she
2: wasn't. No. Well,
3: that was
1: Smokey doing most of yeah, the swearing. Yeah, that's right.
0: Uh, yeah, that's what yeah, we so... said. <laughs> <laughs> He's he wasn't said there, there to yeah, suddenly so alter we, ego we, stuff um, now. <laughs>
2: yeah, we we blamed him for that stuff. Well, actually, he he did have his his way. I mean, he would he would do a little. He had this kind of. Funny shake of his head in the harness. Oh, yeah. Uh, when people would do what I thought to be kind of silly things. I mean, I mean, like um, turning into a doorway. We knew we knew where the door was. Smoke would find the door. And he would try to put his nose right on the handle of it, so I could just put my hand down his face and open the door. Uh, but quite often, the, uh, people would. It happens more often than I like to admit. But uh, sometimes people, if they see us coming in a public building, would open the door, but not say a word. Right. Just not say a word. Oh. So we had no idea. I had no idea if the door was open or not. But Smoke would stop in the open door and he'd give it his, his, his head a little shake, right? And I said, Don't tell me some fool opened it not said anything. And, so, <laughs> 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 and I'd say, Okay, Smoke, for you know, hoping it wasn't like a big, huge person, you know, mm. that, yeah. said that. <laughs> that might take offense, you know smack me one. Although I had smoke, so it was okay.
1: It was Smokey's version of an eye roll or a scarf. Right.
2: <laughs> I think that's exactly why <laughs> I wish I would have thought of that for the book, Jacob. Where were you? Yeah, that's right. When we needed you, you know. <laughs> oh man. Can Wait. I say one more thing before we end? Is that, uh, yes. Um, just to stay with Smokey's the way he, um, I mean, we did a lot of writing of books. The first few books I wrote in, in, I'd use a dictaphone to write and of course did a lot at home, but we would travel out. we did some in cafes and bars around Toronto, you know, and in Anaganish, Nova Scotia. So Smokey, whenever I went somewhere, if I passed that place again, the matter just I went there once, two years ago, he would hesitate to see if I wanted to go there. Now what got embarrassing in my neighborhood and other neighborhoods I hung out in Toronto was that at every single bar the guy would hesitate. <laughs> it just got mm-hmm. People say, "Is that what you do? You spend your, all your time in bars?" You know, oh, he's me. judging you.
0: <laughs> yeah, I said, just stop
2: it, just stop it, you know. But um, we, 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 we would, we would, do that. So that was that was kind of an interesting thing. Now um, we're going to have a book launch for this book, so that's why this what I told you about the bars was kind of crucial. And we were wondering where in Toronto to have the book launch, you know, like a conventional one at a bookshop, you know, or something like that. And my partner Tanya Tichkowski said. What about that beautiful old bar downtown called the Imperial? Mm. They have a back room. That's where we're going to have the book line. Smokey would have loved it.
1: Mm. Sounds fun.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You guys, thank you so much. Um, Really... Endearing conversation. I think we learned a lot just reading, but uh, talking to you, getting so much of the the background, the knowledge, the you know how this sat with you, this whole experience has been uh, incredible. So thank you for sharing, Rod and Dan, and appreciate your time.
2: Thank you. It's our pleasure. Mm-hmm. Thank, thank you both.
0: All the best, Rod makako and Dan Goodley, authors of Letters with Smokey, a collection of letters. Providing a lively exploration of human-animal relationships and space to interrogate disability as disruption, disturbance, and art.
1: You're listening to the AMI Audiobook Review on AMI-audio. Stick with us. We'll be right back.
0: This is AMI Audiobook Review, and we just wrapped up our interview slash conversation with Rod Makako and Dan Goodley, who are the authors of Letters with Smokey. And this was a fascinating conversation because we learned about the book. Uh, we also learned just a, a bit about the writing process, about the inception of where this concept came from. A lot to digest, and if you're curious to continue on this thread around Letters with Smokey, you can go to the book launch, and everyone's invited, I believe. Anyway, they told us we were. The book launch is on the evening of Saturday, October 21st of this year at the Imperial Pub. If you are going, it's uh, at 54 Dundas Street. That's 54 Dundas, Dundas Street East in Toronto. So let's talk about it. Letters with Smokey. Uh, Jay, you and I had read through most of this book coming into the conversation. Mm -hmm. And I thought, first of all, I didn't know how I would feel about just the correspondence itself uh, after reading the synopsis and wondered, you know, what are we really going to get into? Oh, is this going to be catered towards... People who have no idea what guide dog training is, what it means to have a guide dog. You know what I mean? Like the the newer people to the community. And that's not at all what it was. There's a lot of philosophy. I
1: I find there's a lot of discourse within uh, the guide dog and guide dog handler community that comes off almost like cultish. Mm. (laughs) Because there's so it really feels like it's the best way for blind people to get around but i don't it didn't feel that way about this book even though it's very obviously pro guide dog it's very much that they they do a good job at making it fun to read and it's not preachy that, in the way that i find a lot of this, this discourse usually goes
0: yeah and they definitely sprinkled a lot of that um you know, this is what the guide dog training is. This is what it feels like to interact with your dog for the first time. And even that, uh, you know, moment of realization when you connect with your guide dog, because you weren't so sure to begin with, if this was the right thing for you yes. uh, and having that connection, building that bond. But I, I guess for me, the, what made that all interesting, because some of this feels like recycled material, especially if you're familiar with it already, uh, What made it interesting is that it was from Smokey, and Smokey was a character.
1: Yes, and I'm not going to lie. I was definitely more engaged reading the Smokey portions of the book. Mm -hmm. It it almost felt like Dan was reacting to to Smokey's letters. Like, Smokey's letters are definitely the most novel part of this book. And naturally so, because it's an anthropomorphized dog. Like, that's a Mm. really weird situation to be reading from.
0: And... Dan's role in this, as you say, reaction, uh, but also, like I mentioned during the conversation, it was interesting that he pointed out how he let Smokey's letters digest a little, uh, digest for days, and then came back with very intense, sometimes challenges, sometimes just, like, realizations and philosophies that he wanted to hear more about. I mean, it was Easy enough to follow, but definitely interesting to think, like, how deep can this conversation really go? Because it doesn't necessarily have to.
1: I really appreciated that we got to really understand the bond between a guide dog and the guide dog handler, but mostly from the perspective of the dog, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, we got to know that Rod really understood the body language of of Smokey. And Smokey like described it like he was doing it very purposely so yes. that Rod would understand, right? Yeah. I love those bits.
0: Yeah, the, the parts where Smokey's basically explaining that um I got you. You know, it, it I can tell that you don't know what you're doing, but I'm here. And that part of it, I guess, is a lot of the trust and bonding. And speaking of that, these two, Dan and uh Rob to begin with, are so tight.
1: Yeah, you can tell just in their in their interactions, not yes. just in the book, but in the interview that yeah. we we're listening to before the break. Like you can just tell, eh?
0: It was so lovely to have just the the banter, um, the you know the laughter and the closeness and the curiosity. I think too for each other's experiences and you know being able to bring that into written correspondence, but as well, yeah, the love definitely is there throughout the interactions.
1: Mm-hmm, absolutely.
0: Okay, so for disability content, right, for for this book being um, shared amongst the disability communities right. and, and the kinds of conversations that will be brought up there, what do you think about the tone?
1: Well, naturally, this is going to get passed around. on behalf of the disability community. Yes, I'll do please. my best. <laughs> <laughs> naturally, this is going to get passed around the disability community. I really appreciate how... It, it approaches the tone of disability because even when it's authors with disabilities themselves, there's often a subtext of inspiration porn, mm. a subtext of these. this is what I go through, like, I want you to understand. But this was more telling a story. It was a story of friendship between Rod and Smokey and Rod and Dan, the two of them. And it wasn't preachy. It wasn't... It wasn't trying to to teach you anything. It was just it lets you interpret their relationships in the way that you wanted to.
0: Mm-hmm. The wording that they use and the synopsis slash just you know to understand the book better. Um, interrogate disability as disruption, disturbance, and art. I think that alone gives people the the idea that they're not trying to give you answers, right? They're trying to ask questions, and obviously that was the entire correspondence to begin with. It's just asking questions, asking questions, um, sparking curiosity, just going with different thoughts and understanding of experience. That part, I think, is what makes it very open-minded. Not just for them as the writers and as uh, academics kind of coming into this realm in a different... mm, mindset but also to invite others to do the same
1: i think what they really achieved here was opening the doors to what the narrative of disability can be because they're not coming here with answers Mm -mm. they're coming here with questions and making you rethink the way we we observe disability but more specifically in this case the relationship between a guide dog and uh, and the handler the person with the disability
0: yes yeah mm-hmm. and rethink the narrative of disability, but not exactly tell you what that rethink should be,
1: yes, exactly. <laughs> it's not like you have it wrong. Here's yes. the answer. Yeah. It's we might want to rethink the way we we've been talking about this this mm-hmm. whole time. It's not that simple
0: Mm-mm. exactly. No, I love that. I love these kind of open ended discussions. uh anyway, we still have the rest of the the correspondence to read, so i'm I'm curious about where it goes and and the kind of like progress they make throughout these letters, Mm -hmm. but um, check it out. It's available on SELA. It's accessible, and the authors of Letters with Smokey are Rod Makako and Dan Goodley. Um, Before we wrap up, let's check the SELA homepage because we have not done that yet, and the three titles that are up there for the featured section of the SELA homepage, which is at C-E-L-A-Library.ca. That's the Center for Equitable Library Access. We would love to shout them out every week, by the way. Uh, The three titles that are up there right now are The Whispers by Ashley Audrain, Mm -hmm. Suspense and Thrillers.
1: And we reviewed that one in the past, episode. you can go back and listen to that one.
0: So good. I still can't get that book out of my head. Mm -hmm. The Wager by David Graham. This is a history, so maybe you can check that out if you're into it. And the last one up there, because they always have three, is The Misses by E.L. James, and that is a romance Maybe they'll have three new titles next time, and then we can uh, find out if we check any of them out to review on the show. Mm -hmm. That's it for this episode. We have more conversation coming your way next week as we release weekly episodes of AMI Audiobook Review. And on that chat, I think we're going to talk a little bit about mobile books Books coming to us, and not just us going to books. And I'm not talking digital either. I'm your host, Ramia Amadun, with co-host Jacob Shymansky and technical producer Nisreen abdel Until we chat again, happy audiobook listening.